0: You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to covacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, Golden West. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today on the show, we have Amanda Greenbaum the wine proprietor at Aja Vineyards, located in Malibu, California. Enjoy my conversation with Amanda. Amanda, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to share with you about my family's winery.
0: Yeah, well, it's great having you here. When I first heard about your vineyard and your wine, I just, I was immediately just interested and captivated of just reading about uh, wine in Malibu and the history. And, um, you know, we're gonna get into all that, but that was just something that immediately kind of drew me in. Um, so there, there's so much to unpack. So first I think let's just go back to kind of your early days and growing up here in LA and how you got interested in wine.
1: Sure. So, um, when I was 14, my parents purchased a property in Malibu. It was a home, uh, with a half acre hillside, of uh, vineyards of Syrah and Cabernet Sauvignon planted on it. And I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, this entire story really starts with a dream. And it was my grandparents' dream. And my, my grandparents have traveled all around the world. And these are my father's parents. And they've traveled up and down the California coast to every single continent. They love to travel. And they, throughout travel, tasted wines from everywhere. And they fell in love with wine country and the wine community and wine as, you know, just, just being an art form. And so, Um, they always said, oh, you know, if only I could have a vineyard, if only I could be, you know, a wine proprietor or a winemaker. Uh, But they never had the knowledge in that, and they didn't have the money. And so my grandfather worked for the Air Force for a while and um, worked in electronics, very separate. So the wine was kind of more of a hobby. And that hobby and that passion for wine actually passed down to my father, who then Began to collect wine, and when I was a kid, he used to store it in the back of like the, you know, closet in the main room of the house, and it would be buried for farther in there, um, you know, just buried in there. And he would make sure it's cool, but he didn't have like a controlled temperature cellar or anything like that. Um, so when the opportunity arose for him to purchase uh, a plot of land that had vines on it, he jumped at it, and so. We purchased the property in 2010, and immediately in 2011, we started producing wine. And I remember it was dormant period, and I was still 14 years old, just about to turn 15, and my dad pulls me outside, and he goes, Amanda, you see the vineyards that we have here? I say, yeah. And he goes, we're going to make wine. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know you could make wine in Los Angeles. I thought that was a Napa thing. Um, And of course, you know, 15 year old naive me is pretty much like every other person who consumes wine in Los Angeles. Oh, there's vineyards around here. You know, they don't really know much about the history of the Malibu Coast and all the wineries around here. They just think, oh, the closest wine place is Santa Barbara or Temecula, depending on where you are in the massive area that we live in, Los Angeles. Um, And so we started making wine in 2011. We found a crushing facility that would help out and we started learning about the process and of course this was mostly my father at the time who was working on finding the right people to help make the wine because he didn't have as much knowledge just really a passion for it and he had a palate and I was always involved I thought oh, you know this is interesting this is something I could see myself doing and that transformed over time. And I actually, throughout high school, did a couple of research papers on wine. I did research projects where I worked in a winery when I was 16 years old. And I fell in love with it and I said to myself, I wanna become a vintner, I want to work in wine and that's what I wanna do. And so I thought, oh, immediately I'm gonna to go to UC Davis, Cal Poly Slow, or you know, Fresno State, which are three of the best programs for viticulture. and when I got into UCLA, I thought to myself, you know, I'm 18 years old, what if in four years from now, I'm not as interested in wine as I think I am now. So I decided to head down to UCLA. And the love for wine and the enthusiasm that I have for it never really stopped. And especially because I was so close to home, I was able to constantly be involved in the winemaking and in the harvest. And actually, did like the main projections and creation for our 2016 Syrah before I was even 21. So maybe we should keep that on the down low. Wow.
0: Wow. And you mentioned working your first experience, getting some experience working in a winery. Where was that and what were you doing there?
1: So um, it was the winery that we were making our wine at. So when you're in a boutique winery, like we are, oftentimes, you can't afford your own massive facility. Um, Because then you have to pay a winemaker, you have to pay this or that. So you outsource it to a company that works with you kind of as winemaker consultants. So they make your wine and they work with you to determine the flavor profile that you want, you know, how you want to age the wines, the choices of yeast, you know, when you're going to be bringing in the fruit and they kind of guide you through that path. And so I worked at that winery for um, a little bit. Mostly I did it in college. I came back to the winery and did it again in college um, and worked there for, uh, an internship to complete my minor in food studies. Um, but, uh, working with them was really great because I was able to learn a lot about the labs and learning a lot about how wine is made and the process. And, um, I did a couple of bottling lines with them as well throughout my time, uh, in, you know, college. And then after college, uh, that's really where my wine career started. And I, I I digress, though. There was a portion of uh, time in college where I actually, because I was continually falling in love with wine, um, two things happened. I actually sold my first bottle or I guess my first cases of wine when I was 20 to a local wine shop um, because I was wanting to sell Aja. And we were just really making wine as a hobby at this point. It wasn't really for a business um, per se. It was like, oh, you know, we're making it because we have, you know, the, um, My dad loved making it. He wanted to have it so that he could share it with people. Um, But it it wasn't enough for a business until come right after I graduate from college, and then it was time to be a business. And then as well in college, I started uh, the Sommeliers Club at UCLA, which uh, within the first week had 300 members sign up to be a part of it. And that's where I
0: would
1: go and teach students about. And this was both um, undergrads and grads. Uh, and we, w- I basically taught them about wine. I would go and I would do my research. I'd check out Wine Folly, which is one that's still one of my go-to um, platforms for people who want to learn about wine but do not have the education in it. Uh, they do a really great job explaining you know, all about wines. And so I would teach students, I would go on there, I would create a presentation, we would taste the wines. If you were over 21, if you were under 21, you could participate and learn about it, but you couldn't taste the wines. Um, so we actually did have quite a few people who were younger who wanted to join and just learn about wine and just kind of sit there, almost like uh, one of my um, one of the vice presidents uh, of the club at the time, who's a still a good friend of mine. She's finishing up her JD at Chapman Law, and when people asked us, oh, you know, why do you think people would be interested in learning about wine if you can't drink it? And um, she said to them well, why are you interested in learning about politics if you can't vote, right? So it's kind of the same idea that you want to inform these people before they get the opportunity to drink or to vote, right? About what it is that they're consuming in order to make sure that they make the right decisions when it comes the time. So um, we did that for a while. And then after college, I went to the International Culinary Center and I studied there and did an intensive wine program where I got a degree of, a degree and cert- certificate in wine from the culinary school. Um, I made it on the Dean's List and was the highest rated, or the highest ranked in my class. And um, I also was, uh, I was also able to get my uh, certification from the quartermaster sommelier, so I'm a level two sommelier.
0: Wow, and you're, so your experience really spans, you know, both food and wine, which I think is really interesting. And you know, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more kind of the hands-on winemaking and working in the vineyard, which I know you're a part of both of those too. Um, and you mentioned, yeah, why would someone want to learn about wine? Well, that, that's one thing about wine is that there's so many things to learn about it. So it, that's one thing that really draw kind of drew me in. Um, you know, once you learn a little bit, and as you mentioned, wine folly is a great place. Uh, I also recommend people to, uh, To go there for people who are new and i know i learned a lot there early on myself but um, that's one thing about wine is that there's so many things to learn and you can never stop (laughs) learning um even people who are you know w said and master psalms or or master of wine and psalms um you know no matter what type your level of education or even winemakers there's always more and more to learn. And um, that's one thing that really is interesting about it and draws people in. So you mentioned growing up here in LA, you went to UCLA, um, you know, you you were involved in starting that club and then kind of doing further education. Let's bring it back to kind of uh, Aja and the, the vineyard, which is in Malibu. And first maybe we can just touch on kind of the industry of wine in Malibu. And then we can kind of zero in on on the specific site where your, uh, your family owns the property.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and being so close to home, I was able to be more involved in the Malibu culture and the Malibu Wine um, Association. So um, I'm just going to kick it back about 350 years when we started making wine in Los Angeles. Um, one thing mm-hmm. I do love about wine is, and we talked about how it's so you know, wonderful that wine, there's so much to learn with wine. And one of my other favorite things is that when you think about the history that you learned in school and that, you know, if you ended up falling in love with it, that you continually read, wine is always woven in there as an extra stitch. So when it comes to wine in California, you know, it's a part of the whole, you know, the Spanish coming in and creating the missions that go all up the coast of California, So about 350 years ago when the Spanish came over to California and started making, or and started essentially making their lives there, they also brought vines with them and they planted vineyards. And so they started in San Diego and moved their way up. So I like to tell everyone there were vines and there were vineyards in Los Angeles before they were in Napa. So you can't forget that. Yeah. In about 350 years ago, um, a man by the name of Jose Bartolomeu Bartolomeu Tapia, uh, he planted the first vines in the Chumash areas um, that are now known as the Santa Monica Mountains, and he planted them in an area by Malibu Solstice Canyon, and those were the first vines. And then over time, um, other people started coming in, there was a portion where He was kind of out and the vineyards were kind of dormant for a period. And then someone else came in and took over and revived the vineyards. And so there's been vineyards in the Los Angeles area for over 350 years. It's just it wasn't this big thriving vineyard community. And being in the Santa Monica Mountain area, which is also, you know, a state park, it's hard to actually have areas that are fully developed for agriculture or able to produce you know well they can all produce fruit but it's that not that it's permitted for it or um and they're kind of special state grounds you know so um being a state park you have your limitations on how much they want to plant you know vineyards per se or any agriculture for that matter
0: yeah it's a really interesting story I know that there's a grape called Mission I believe also called Pais if I'm pronouncing that right that was mm-hmm. one of the first uh, varietals in california there's a couple winemakers who still make that type of varietal and experiment with it um but i know zinfandel too was was popular um in california i think it was the most popular grape and now we have a lot of bordeaux varietals and, and pinot and a lot of different things um mm-hmm. and napa is kind of known for for, for cab and the Bordeaux varietals. So, um, no, but yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think a lot of people don't really think about that. So, so in Malibu, you know, there are a few other wineries, um, along, alongside yours and most of them are kind of ranging from yours kind of on the boutique side to, I don't know what, what the other ones are doing as far as cases, but maybe a little bit larger, but, um, growing up here. And as you mentioned, going to UCLA and, kind of being in the, uh, in the community here, how has your experience been, and especially building the Aja brand over the past few years?
1: So I started working full-time for Aja when I was just out of college. It was 2019, I had just finished my sommelier certification in December. Um, I was 22 years old, and I started full-time working for the winery, and it was tough. Um, You know, and it's still a climb and it constantly is when you're trying to take a brand from nothing to something, you have to have a lot of patience and you have to really, you have to really work hard in order to build this into something that people look at and say, oh, you know, I've seen it. I see. I've heard of that before. I've seen that label before. So when I first started, we had been making wine since 2011, but we hadn't, we we haven't been selling it at that point. At that point, we started our e-commerce technically in 2016. So he he put a website up. He's like, oh, maybe, maybe somebody will want to buy something. Maybe we'll want to turn this into something. But at that point in time, he didn't have any full intentions of actually commercializing our winery. But I definitely did. And so when I graduated college, when I finished my sommelier certification and I graduated from that, uh, the culinary center, I said, I looked at my dad and he looked at me and he goes, you're really knowledgeable. I know that you want to go into wine. I know you've told me you want to go into distribution, but I want to let you know if you decide that you want Aja to be your full time job, I will invest in you because I trust you. And now my dad has been working his full time job is he runs a company called Input One and it is an insurance premium finance company. So it's a more financial technology, very different from wine. Now granted, those are the people who drink the most wine because they're exhausted of looking at their computers all day. So they just need to sit down with a glass of wine. But Uh from the perspective of being a successful businessman, for him to say, I see something in you, and I don't just invest blindly. I'm investing in you because not just because you're my daughter. He told me, and this is very true of him. He's like, I'm not just going to invest in you because you're my daughter. I'm investing in you because genuinely, genuinely believe that you have something to offer. And I want to be a part of it. And I want to help you grow. And so we had a discussion. I said, yeah, I'll work full time. And I basically just started figuring everything out you know, you kind of get thrown into the loop there. And he had a little bit of information for me. But I think now having worked for Aja for just about two years, I've already surpassed him in the knowledge that he had, um, when it comes to running the wine portion of the company from business, I'll never defeat him. He is so knowledgeable in business. Um, And my mom is a very creative person. So she's very helpful in like the social media aspect. And She does her own blogging and things like that. So it's great to have, you know, such a business mind and a creative mind that are like huge supporters and people who I look up to, to help fuel me and my passion. So what I've done over time is been working on building the brand by promoting Aja and trying to hone in on what we are all about. We're a family oriented winery based out of the Malibu coast, and we're making luxury brand wines. That's what we do. And so my goal is to share that with people, to show that we are a group of passionate three generations going back of wine lovers trying to create a product that is a passion product, that is a quality product, that is worthy of a high price point, but also is not overbearing, you know, like, look at me, I'm some glamorous wine brand. That's not the goal. The goal is for it to be approachable and to be respectful of history and to show a lot of passion through our family and our family's love for wine.
0: Yeah, and and obviously with wine, the price points can be all over the place depending on the varietal and depending on the costs that go into making the wine um, and depending on the, the site that you're buying the fruit. So let's walk through a little bit of kind of like grape to bottle at your particular winery with the Aja brand um, and you mentioned you're using a custom crush facility which is common for boutique uh, brands um, so let's just kind of walk through from you know from grape to bottle and then how you're kind of involved in overseeing not just the vineyard management but uh, the, the crush time you know when the times when it yeah, it's when the time goes to to go to the crush pad and then you kind of referenced already, but all the way through, you know, all the the business side of things of selling the wine and, and building the brand and getting the word out there.
1: So the growing season lasts from March ish, sometimes February, if, if it's a hotter year, between about February to on a very, very late note, the beginning of November. And that's how long it takes from a grape to grow from absolutely nothing to a full bunch that you can pick off the vine. And so the other couple of months throughout the year, so December, January, and then sometimes February, those would be the dormant months. So those are the months that we don't do anything to the vineyards. We let them rest and we let them rejuvenate for the next growing season. We might, you know, put on some, uh, you know, some dormant nutrients just to kind of help the soil revive itself. Uh, but for the most part, it's just um, a relaxed period for the vines. And then in February, we usually towards the end of February, beginning of March, we start with our pruning, which is when you go in and you cut the uh, cut off all of the dead branches so that the vines can be properly situated so that they can grow in a way such a way that it essentially. Is healthy for the vines in the best way possible, kind of like a bonsai tree, you need to cut it in special ways. Same thing goes with grapes. And so we'll go ahead and we'll do that. And I work with our farming team on pretty much everything, making sure that all the maintenance of the vineyards is done properly from cutting you know, and trellising and from uh, pruning, from shoot thinning. And then I also work with them on making sure that we get labs done on our soils and tests to make sure that we have the right amount of nutrients so that we're not just putting some random fertilizer in, we're making sure that what we're putting in is exactly what the vines need. And I'm also very cautious about what we do. You know, a lot of farmers like to cut corners. Oh, do you want to put Roundup in that? Absolutely not. I do not let corners get cut in my vineyard. We already hand harvest. We're already, you know, hillside. It's not an easy vineyard to harvest and to maintain because of its, uh, Because it's on a hillside, but. Because of that, I know that I need to make a quality product and I'm not going to cut any corners to make a quality product. The trellising system that we use is for a combination of making sure that we get the right amount of growth from each vine where it's you know, not too much growth but not too little growth and to make sure that it's an accurate, accurately getting you know, the right amount of sunlight um, throughout, the period, throughout the growing season. And so um, right now, since we're at the end of April, we're actually going through a process of shoot thinning. So our shoots have grown out and they're about, I wanna say maybe a foot tall. And at this point in time, this is where we start cutting again to make sure that only the freshest and the best looking um, vines are going to be producing fruit. And that way we have, it's essentially a form of quality control. And so we do this and then we're gonna go through the inflorescence and then we'll go to the full bloom essentially where, and then we'll start getting to see the grapes that'll turn to verasion, that will turn into the plump berries that you get right before harvest. So this is actually our first year that we'll be harvesting our Sauvignon Blanc from our property. Prior years we have not been able to because the vines weren't producing enough, um, simply because they were planted only about four years ago. So this will be the first year that we harvest. And um, then we will be harvesting at the beginning of September or the middle, depending upon when the sugar levels are right. We'll be harvesting our, um, our rosé, our Syrah for rosé, and then we'll harvest our Syrah and then our Cab and Cab blend varietals, our Bordeaux varietals. So that's kind of how it goes. We usually end up in November uh, finishing our harvests, and I'm very much on top of it. And a lot of the producers around us, i talk to them, oh, you know, what bricks are you guys picking your grapes at? And a lot of them will pick a lot later than I do. Um, And the reason for that is because they want that California style. And when we taste the wines, you'll notice that we don't do it in the biggest California style. My whole direction with the wine is to make California fruit wines that have the California fruit and flavor because it's ripe and it's lush and it's beautiful but with a French body and with influence from the French culture because of where where we're located in proximity to the ocean Um, and the varietals that we grow because of it. So we grow Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec Merlot, Petit Verdot, Cab Franc, and Sauvignon Blanc all on our estate. Um, And so I want to make sure that as someone who has studied wine and who appreciates wine from all over the world that the wine that I get to produce is the wine that I think is going to be the most approachable for the consumer, the most enjoyable for both consumers, novices, and advanced wine tasters and a product that, you know, can pretty much match with the culture of being in Malibu. So that's kind of what we do. And then when I get to the winery, we're on the crush pad. We are pick, you know, we have our grapes, we're testing the bricks levels to make sure that they're exactly where we want them to be. We throw them into tank or barrel or I guess we throw them into tank for a bit and then over time we'll determine our aging vessels depending upon varietal and we have kind of a um what we do is we do in a, a period of time where our wines are aged for about 18 months in the winery and then we bottle and then we age them for at least 18 months but we will not release and this is one of the big roles that my dad plays we will not release until we believe that the wine is palatable and that it is really darn good so that's kind of one of our biggest philosophies if it's not good we won't release it
0: I like that I like that philosophy and thanks for taking us through kind of grape to bottle and how you guys are doing things over there. So I think this is a good opportunity. You mentioned some of the varietals or you mentioned all the varietals that you're growing there and you, you touched on a couple wines. So let's, let's start to get into the wines here. So we're going to talk about the full lineup, but we can kind of taste through um, the Sauvignon Blanc uh, comes from Happy Canyon in Santa Barbara, which, which you can talk about um and then the and as you mentioned you're going to be actually doing the sauvignon blanc on your property this year um but that was the 2019 vintage um yeah. and then you know we'll talk through the rosé and then the uh get into some of the reds too so why don't we start with the whites and the and the sauv blanc
1: so sure so um the sauv blanc feature that that we have featured here is our 2019 sauvignon blanc from happy canyon in santa barbara Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of our starter wine. The reason we have this wine is because I said, you know, we really need a white in the lineup and the white that we have on property is not quite ready yet. So we ended up trying to find a winery that we could work with and that had a very similar philosophy as ours up in Happy Canyon, because it's very hard to chuck all the grapes from Happy Canyon all the way down to our facility and crush there. So we just work with the facility up in Bulton. And, um, you know, their philosophy is very similar to ours. It's the same style that they usually make their Sauvignon Blancs in the same style that we do. So we work together to create this product for you. And it's essentially our starter wine, $19 a bottle. It's beautiful. And one thing that I love to note is that Happy Canyon, the climate in Happy Canyon, which is, you know, just the eastern portion of San Ynez, is pretty similar to the climate that we have where we're located in the Malibu coast. Now the Malibu coast is very um, large. It s- stretches across the transverse mountain ranges from Oxnard all the way down to Santa Monica. And so depending upon where you're located within the mountains there, you get a completely different wine. Like Rosenthal, for example, is a very popular winery. They produce about 5,500 cases a year and they have a big tasting room down on PCH. And, The wine that they produce, and the wine that I produce, they both taste like they're from Malibu, but one tastes different than the other. Very much so, because theirs is almost more of a maritime climate, whereas ours, we have a much bigger, I would say, um, temperature shift. Not quite a different diurnal shift, but a different temperature shift. So for us, which people don't realize, it actually frosts over where we are in Malibu pretty much every winter because we're located within a canyon within the mountain range. So we actually get really cold weather during the dormant period and in the early spring mornings it's cold and then it gets warm during the day and kind of comes back down. Whereas in different areas of the coast, it's either constantly coastal climate and it's cool or it's always warm. So they all taste different depending upon where you're located in the canyon. And Happy Canyon, in Santa Barbara is very similar in climate to where we are. And so we thought what better place to get Sauvignon Blanc from than an area that makes wine in a similar climate than we do. So this wine is very zesty. It's very citrus forward. It's got a lot of beautiful um, like green apple notes as well. And it's a very crisp, refreshing wine, easy to drink. We sell it for $19 a bottle direct to consumer on our website. You can purchase it um, on ashavineyards.com. And so we started making those ones in 2018. We have our 19s available now, and then we'll be bottling the 2020s very soon. Um, and so we'll have that wine, and then we'll eventually have our estate Sauvignon Blanc. So.
0: Yeah, and the way you described kind of the winemaking style is you mentioned picking a little bit earlier, or maybe a little bit earlier compared to some of your neighbors or other people who are kind of going for that more Super ripe, maybe almost kind of like Napa style when I think of reds. Even maybe on the white side too, Sauvignon Blanc. Some of those can get pretty high up there in alcohol. Um, so for to me, that usually means kind of a more food-friendly wine. Um, now, obviously, you can have it with food, without food, <laughs> have it by the pool. You know, this summer, um, have it uh, on a picnic or or wherever, or just uh, enjoy it um, kind of a glass on its own. But maybe you could just touch on that because that's something where I think a lot of winemakers and wineries are gravitating to that type of style. And they have been in the past number of years as palates change and and tastes change a little bit.
1: Absolutely. And as a millennial wine consumer, I've found that a lot of people, they are not gravitating as much towards the big, big cabs, which is great for me because I believe our wines do better when we produce them, not in this big, heavy, inky format. Um, And like, like I said, it's more approachable for the general consumer. You know, people who drink Pinot, like my cab, people who drink cab, like my cab. So that's something that I think is really good to be right in the middle. And it, like you said, it's very palatable with food. And in Malibu, you know, in Los Angeles is a big food scene. There's a ton of great restaurants all over the place. And I absolutely love going out to restaurants. And um, in Malibu, you know, there's a ton of great, really great cuisines out there and really great restaurants. I mean, some of the top restaurants are right there on the ocean. And so, yes, part of what we do is make a wine that's good for food and, and for pairings. And we actually, in all of our tasting notes, do food pairings. And as a sommelier, that's kind of one of my favorite things to do is to talk about food pairings. We recently did a blog on our website where we talked about each of our family members talked about a, their favorite wine from the lineup and one of their favorite pairings with it. So with this Sauvignon Blanc, one of my favorite pairings is chicken tacos like spicy chicken tacos are fine or just regular chicken tacos with a green salsa are just absolutely delicious with this wine
0: yeah it sounds really good um now you all the the notes are here on the website we'll link in the show notes that's aja vineyards a-j-a vineyards.com um, and you have some notes here which is cool people can kind of look up for kind of the wine nerds who like to get into this stuff, you have the harvest month, the particular clone, you know, how it was aged, um, the bottle date and all, all that type of stuff, um, which is really cool as well. So I'll link that in the show notes. Let's move along to the Aja Vineyards Malibu Coast Rosé. Um, and this one is, I, I believe a new offering for, for you guys.
1: Yeah, so you're actually tasting it. We're it's officially available for pre-order. Um, you can email us at marketing at ajavineyards.com to get your bottle before Mother's Day, um, but we are officially opening it for the public to purchase direct on our website on May 4th. Um, and so we're really, I'm really excited about this rosé. It's the second year that we made a rosé, and it's one of my favorite stories to tell because I back in college, one of my big research papers that I did was on Rosé and why it was so popular. Um, and I did a lot of research on this because I was genuinely interested in myself because I I grew up with a family where my dad hated rosé. He drank rosé champagne and he drank rosé sparkling wine, but never rosé by itself. And you know I all I knew from rosé when I was growing up was white zinfandel, which we all know is just you know a sweet a very sweet wine that. Um, a lot of, you know, people, that's kind of like the the initial drink when they're like, oh, I want to taste wine. You know, they drink white Zinfandel or Moscato. Um, but I was just really interested in making a rosé because I saw how well it did in the market. After doing this research paper, I found out, you know, this trend is not something that's going down. It's just going up, up, up. And now at this point in time, I would say that it's kind of at a, um, a plateau. It might go up even further and it might not but I think that Rose is not going anywhere right now and I think that that's important for most people for people who make wine to know that rose is not going anywhere so if you want to give your consumers another option, Rose is absolutely the way. Um, so this produ- this particular wine um, in 2019 I said you know we, I really want to make a rose. We originally tried to make a rose in 2012 and my dad was not happy with how it came out. And he dumped everything. He said, I'm not not gonna bottle this, I'm not happy with it. Fair enough, you know, I think it was probably good. We actually do have a bottle still in the cellar. I'm curious to know what it tastes like. Um, But in 2019, I said, we are making a rosé and I'm, you know, spearheading this and it's going to look at this color. It's gonna be in this style. And I want it to be kind of more uh, reminiscent of Provence because Provence is a beautiful wine growing region right on the water in France. We're in Malibu, right on the water, you know, in California. So why not make a wine that's very similar in style? I knew people preferred a more dry style than a sweet style. I personally preferred a more dry style than a sweet style. So that's kind of where I went with this. And so this particular one is 95% Syrah with a 5% addition of our field blend, which was Malbec, Merlot, Petit Verdun, Franc. and it kind of just added a little bit of color, a little bit of acid, a little bit extra flavor. But I love tasting this wine. because even though it's not a red, you still get that flavor that you get from a lot of the wines from Malibu. It's a Tauois flavor of like this kind of candied cherry. Um, And in the rosé, it presents itself more so as a yellow cherry and you get yellow cherries, peaches, nectarines, watermelons, strawberry. It's just an extremely refreshing wine. It's not overly fruity. It's not sweet. You know, it's got this beautiful floral nose that's captivating and, It's great by itself, chilled poolside. Um, Or it's excellent with an in and out double-double or a charcuterie board. Or if you want something more vegetarian and light, it'll go great with, you know, like an apple walnut salad or something like that. So it's a really delicious, easy-drinking rosé. Slightly more weighty than one from Provence, but it's not overly, you know, heavy on the palate it's still very dry and just a lovely wine to just finish you know the whole bottle in one sitting
0: yeah those are some uh interesting pairing options uh some really good ones there the the double double caught my eye but this type of wine I feel like you could you could go with a salad something lighter all the way to as you mentioned like a, a burger or something like that I was reading a an article on food and wine pairing. I forget one of the big magazines, but they're talking about pairing a cheeseburger with, um, with Rose, how, what a great pairing that can be. And at first I was like, I wonder, but then I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I could go pretty well. Sometimes with food pairings, that's part of the fun of It's just trying out different things and seeing what you like. And there's no kind of hard and set rules nowadays. we have certain traditions that people have kind of lived by in the past, but I think people are finding out now that um, that's kind of part of the fun with the food food and wine pairings. Is that kind of how you approach it or how you talk to people about it?
1: Absolutely. One of my favorite books is called Red Wine with Fish. I feel like there's so many stigmas around certain types of pairings, like, oh, you have to have white with chicken and red with You know, steak and da 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 da. And that's just so false. It's just so wrong. Wines are good because either they are complementary, they're contrasting in flavors, they mask other flavors, or they are a cultural pairing. Those are the four main pairings. And so some of the best pairings in the world are the weirdest ones like port and blue cheese. Amazing. Such a great pairing you know, um, and you're talking about something super sweet and something super, you know, uh, like acidic and, you know, oftentimes off-putting to people, right? And you put the two together and it's like drinking a milkshake. It's delicious. And then you have, you know, um, one of my personal favorite pairings, which is Riesling and Thai food. So, you know, you have a Slightly off dry Riesling with a spicy Thai food, and it kind of mellows out the spice and the acid in the Riesling, and the lime candy kind of flavors goes really well with, you know, like Pad Thai, for example. And so I'm constantly experimenting. Um, one of our favorite things to do, and I know that a lot of sommeliers will give me a lot of um, a lot of uh, crap for this. <laughs> excuse my, excuse me for not having another word for that, but. Um, A lot of Psalms will tell tell you you can't have red wine with chocolate, but if you have the right chocolate truffles, I will 100% guarantee it'll taste amazing with our wines, our red wines particularly. So I'm all about the weird pairings.
0: Yeah, that's a a really good point. And, And actually, I've heard that from many Psalms myself too, and it's kind of funny that they kind of teach that and it's kind of a known thing within that universe, but maybe not always true. Um, so let's w- walk through some of the, uh, well, the full lineup here of, of the reds. So you have a Syrah, you have a proprietary blend, um, a Cabernet, and then a, a special wine called Malibu Coast 5 red wine. So let's start with the Syrah and we can kind of move our, move, move, move our way through these.
1: So like I had mentioned before, our vineyards, we have seven different varietals planted on our vineyards, um, five of them go into our five red blend right but the original wine that was planted on our vineyard is um is the Syrah it was the original vineyard planted and it's actually one of the more common varietals that you'll find in the Malibu coast um because our climate is very similar to like southern Rhone um and mm-hmm. the southern Rhone is a very popular place to grow Syrah and Grenache um, and yeah. so that it's, that's one of the, I think that's one of the reasons why originally there was Syrah planted there. Um, and it grows beautifully and it's very different from Syrahs that you'll taste anywhere else. The central California Syrahs, the Temecula Syrahs, you know, um, the ones that are in the more cool climates, like the, the Santa Rita Hills and San Inez Syrahs are very different than the wine, than the Syrah that you get from us, um, and from the Malibu coast, even if it's, you know, um, you know, the same clone that we're growing, uh, the clone that we have on our property is called the Straya, which is known, um, as the Gary, Gary Eberle's Paso clone. Um, it's what he has on his, uh, in his Syrah. And so we have the same, um, we have the same clone on our property and his wine and my wine do not taste the same. Um, and so it just grows really beautifully. Like there's such a beautiful like floral bouquet of red and purple and, and blue flowers, like violets, you know, um, that you get from this wine, and just this overwhelming dark cherry, you know, raspberry, plum, blueberry, all of these beautiful dark fruits, um, blackberries, lots of blackberry, and a lot of and a hint of that that black pepper that you get in a lot of syrahs, and it's very um, it's very different, you know, and and it may not sound the same as I'm talking about it, like oh, you know, every syrah has black pepper and blackberries, but I think that the floral notes that we have on our Syrahs, it doesn't usually get that, um, as much of a gamey flavor as you get in usually cooler climates. Um, and it doesn't really get an overly jammy flavor either where we're located. It just kind of has this one, uh, dark cherry note that is very overwhelming and a lot of blackberry, blueberry, raspberry, kind of all encompassing in, uh, the wine. And so, um, I love I love making it. Um, our the last vintage that we bottled is our 2018 syrahs. Our 19 went entirely into our rosé production, and our 20s are actually going to be the fifth one, um, the fifth varietal in our um, five blend. So we're changing that up.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I can see the notes here. You've got um, you know 2011 through 2016. Uh, people can buy right here on the website, as you mentioned, the clone, and there's some some notes in there. Um, 18 to 21 months in neutral oak. And this, you know, we talked about this and you referenced this, but actually being able to show the terroir and have kind of the vineyard and the fruit speak for itself, I think is really cool and really important in a way. Um, I talked to a lot of winemakers and vintners where that's kind of their goal at the end of the day, right. Is to just try to have the land speak for itself and the fr- fruits speak for itself. And it seems like you're doing a really great job of that. And, um, what's, you know, super cool about that, that too, is that there's not too many examples of, uh, you know, there's a handful, but of, of Malibu, uh, you know, wine and fruit, as you mentioned um, you know, Los Angeles and kind of California in general was has this rich history of wine, but to actually have a, a boutique winery like yours, you know, there's a handful where people can get it, but there's not too many. It's not like Napa or Sonoma where there's hundreds or even thousands of wineries. So I think that's right. also pretty special where people who want to taste a different terroir, as you mentioned, you're going to taste a Syrah from... Uh, Santa Barbara area compared to Sonoma or even San Diego. It's going to taste a lot different from what you're offering In in to the trained palate at least
1: Right, right
0: Um, Yeah, so let's get into Let's see. Um, I don't know. How about the Cabernet next?
1: So our Cabernet Sauvignon and I like to talk about this one um, in conjunction with our proprietary red So in 2011 Um, Our first production of Cab was labeled under proprietary red. And the reason for that is my dad has an affinity for some particular Napa Cabs, one of which being Palmeyer. And the way that Palmeyer labels their red blend is proprietary. And at that point in time, we didn't have the wine knowledge that we have today. And my dad said, oh, you know, it's 90% Cabernet Sauvignon and 10% Syrah. So therefore it's a proprietary red blend. And I'm going to have a blend, wine. What he didn't know is that in California, the rule states that so long as all the fruit is from the same AVA, um, and the same, like whatever AVA you put the, on the label, you know, for us at that point in time was California because the Malibu Coast was not established until 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, then so long as you have at least 75% of the fruit under a single varietal, then you can label it as such. And so with 90%, technically, it's just a Cabernet Sauvignon with a hint of Syrah in it but it really is just a cab, um, that we labeled under proprietary. And at that point in time, we didn't know much about that. So my dad was being transparent and that kind of turned into a big portion of our brand and that's transparency. I'm going to tell you what's going to be in your wine. I'm not going to lie to you about where it's from or, you know, pretend like, you know, it's a, you know, oh, you know, this is what we're doing. I don't even know how to explain it. Like what's not, what's going into your wine when you're consuming it as a consumer, I want you to know what I'm putting in that bottle so that when you go to taste the wine, you know what you're getting. Um, And so that's kind of what he did. He said, oh, you know, it's a red blend. Um, But if we have a wine that is labeled Cabernet um, in previous years, um, which is our 2012, our 2015, 17, and then we just... Uh, we have all we have our 18s that are in bottle and then our 19s we just bottled on Sunday. Um, all of the cabs are 100% Cabernet Sauvignon from our vineyard. And depending upon the year um, and how it worked with our five blend, that is how we determined um, whether or not it was going to be labeled um, under one vineyard or another. So the, the vineyards we have on property are Pamela's Vineyard, the Miracle Vineyard, and Ed's Vineyard, um, all named after my grandparents. Um and all four of them, both my dad's, mom, my dad's father and my mom's father were both Ed. So that's named after them. Pamela is my, my, um, my father's mother. And Miracle is because of the miracle after the Woolsey fires that burned everywhere except for that vineyard. Um, and all of our vineyards for that matter. And after my grandmother, who we call the miracle maker for her ability to match people to become um, man and wife and she did that four times. So she's a miracle maker.
0: Wow, Um, (laughs) that is pretty special.
1: It's a pretty cool, it's pretty cool. So all of our five blend is actually the Miracle Vineyard. Um, So I'll kind of touch on that just after, but like I said, our different cabs, uh, starting in 2018, we actually put the name of the vineyard on the label. So in 2018, you'll see the cab is from uh, the Miracle Vineyard. And in 2019, the cab is also from the Miracle Vineyard and therefore we put Miracle Vineyard on the label, and if it's the Pam, if it's the cab from Pamela's, then it'll be Pamela's Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon.
0: Interesting, and I can see the, the notes here for the Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, the clones here listed 337 and PFSO4, and I've heard of 337, it's a popular one, well-known. I haven't heard of the other one, so that's kind yeah. of interesting. I'll have to kind of Google that, and I like and uh, sometimes learning actually- about new ones.
1: Yeah, PSO4 is actually a very common one used in Napa. So the way that mm, okay. um, our clones worked, um, for example, uh, in, the, in the Miracle Vineyard particularly, we established the Miracle Vineyard and we started building it in 2013. And my dad, back, that was back when he was really full-blown into the vineyard, he said, I am going to take all the different wines that I love from Napa. And I'm going to meticulously research the clones and I'm gonna match the clones and the rootstocks that are best going to study, or best going to um, grow in the vineyard. And so he took some soil studies and samples and he had a geologist come to tell us which ones grow best. And he took from there. And so um, the Cabernet Sauvignon, I believe is the same from Pulmeyer, Cane 5, And I want to say Phelps as well.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So for people who know those, those are really high end wineries up in Napa. So you're getting, um, a different terroir with, with, uh, you know, the same clones, which is pretty interesting and cool. Um, let's lastly wrap up with the Malibu coast five wine, which you already referenced. Um, but reading here off the, off the, the notes here and, um, you know, being able to taste through this wine, this, this, this is a really pretty special wine. So I'll let you uh, talk about it here.
1: So as I mentioned, my dad decided that he wanted to build a vineyard and to kind of pick clones and varietals that best, um, like, you know, uh, best represent the wines that he loved in Napa. And so when he took those ideas, he brought it to the vineyard and he planted it he said, this is gonna be my blend. I'm so excited for this Bordeaux blend. And he made it so that it was actually Cabernet Sauvignon heavy. And then after that, the second most um, populous grape in that varietal is Petit Verdot. And then after that, there's a little bit of Merlot. And then there's a tie between Malbec and Capron. So this is a mostly Cabernet Sauvignon Petit Verdot wine. Um, And so he wanted to create this because he wanted this big Bordeaux style blend that was everything he loved and more. So it was a combination of the wines that he fell in love with and what we're making on property. And so uh, I, I don't remember if it was me or if it was him or together we created the name Five. Um, or maybe I think my mom was involved in that, too. I don't remember how we came up with the name, um, but... It's five because of the five different Bordeaux varietals and because there are five members in our immediate family. Um, and so it's kind of each of the different varietals brings something very special to the wine and each of the different members of our family brings something very special to the dinner table and to conversation and to our family as a whole. And so being able to taste the individual varietals, the complexity that blends so well together in that bottle, and then to be able to enjoy it and to let other people enjoy it, that's pretty much what my family's goal was always to do with these wines.
0: Yeah, and people can get this right on the website. Um, Again, we'll link here in the show notes, ajavineyards.com. That's A-J-A vineyards.com. Tell people how they can interact with you guys. I saw on the website you have some uh, virtual tastings. Now that the pandemic is hopefully kind of getting under control finally, Uh, eventually there'll be more opportunities for in-person type events, but tell people how they can kind of interact with you guys and get involved and purchase some wine as well.
1: So right now we have the ability to sell wine and to ship wine to people anywhere in California. We're pretty quick on that too. If you order um, during a weekday, you'll likely get the wine within two days of the day you order. Um, just because I, mean, I can't promise you it's going to be in two days, but for the most part, it's pretty much within two days. Um, and you can purchase anything on our website if you're in California, Minnesota, Alaska, Florida, and Washington, DC. And we're looking at getting into a couple other states. Um, our Syrah is available on winesplurge.com and he can ship to 47 states, I believe. Um, I believe the only ones that he's not able to ship to are like Utah. I think Kentucky and Alabama, and there might be a couple of others. I think Michigan is back and forth. Um, but you can take a look at his website to see where he can ship to. He has our 2012 Syrah and he usually has a couple of others. I think he just honestly ran out and he has to reorder. Um, but our 2012 Syrah is one of the best Syrahs. It's been rated 92 points, 91 from Wine Enthusiast, 92 with double gold medals um, from San Francisco International Wine Competition. It's a beautiful wine, I highly recommend purchasing it. Um, and you can purchase, um, also we do virtual tastings and we offer those interactive tastings. And it's myself as the wine proprietor and sommelier who would teach you all about the wines in the Malibu coast. Um, we will taste you through the wines, ch- tell you all about the wine pairings. And um, that is also just a great way for you to taste our wines virtually. Um, If you're not in the area, we are hoping to open a tasting room soon, so stay tuned. And if you want updates on that, you can actually subscribe to our mailing list. I don't email too often, just at least once a month, sometimes twice or three times a month, depending upon if we have a new release coming out. Um, And one of my favorite ways to interact with us is through our wine club. We have four different wine club options right now, starting at just $90 a shipment. You sign up for three shipments or two shipments, depending upon which one you prefer, a standard or um, some reds only. Often, we'll let you customize the shipments. We're very interactive with our wine club members. We love talking to you guys and all of our wine club members. There's, of the, however many we've had, I think the majority of them um, have stayed on for they haven't left yet and we started the wine club back in 2019 so we must be doing something right um if they're, if they're not if, if they love the wine so much you know they keep getting them and they're enjoying their shipments so that's a great way and there's more information about that on our website um, and you can interact with us on social media we're always posting on instagram facebook linkedin we're on twitter so those are the best ways
0: Great, Amanda. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for you know the history lesson there and talking us through all your wines. So there's a lot for listeners to uh, to learn here and, and you know go maybe even buy some wines and go back and listen and enjoy the podcast. Uh, I've heard from some people that's what they do as well to kind of uh, go in in more detail. And there's uh, tasting notes on the website that people can kind of go back and reference when they're tasting through the wines, which is always fun. Um, lastly we to wrap up just to have a fun question we always ask guests uh, what are you reaching for what are you drinking when you're not drinking wine
1: so that's another hard question for me because I'm also (laughs) a certified mixologist I actually recently just wrote a book um, so you can actually purchase that on Amazon it's called rad cocktails and it's got 50 original recipes and 10 classic cocktail recipes so if you're looking for a great bar book That's the one. It also has an extensive list of um, glassware, what you need to fill up your bar with both the ingredients and the bar materials and tools themselves. So check it out on Amazon. It's a great read. And I'm not just saying that I've got a lot of people who have absolutely loved the book. Um, So it's hard for me to choose my favorite. um, But right now my go to's I've been in a spritz kind of phase. So my big one right now is a Venetian spritz, which is using select um, Apertivo with a little bit of Prosecco, uh, soda water, and an olive as a garnish. And that has been my go-to drink so far. Um, But I always love a good Negroni as well.
0: Awesome. Well, that gives uh, listeners maybe a new idea of something they haven't tried before. We're going to link the book in the show notes so people can go and check that out too on amazon i just pulled it up and you're already off to a a ton of really great ratings and it looks like uh it's been really well received so far so something else for people to check out we also have not just wine lovers but uh you know food and spirits and um, all types of uh people who are just interested in in the culinary experience who listen to the show so another uh fun thing for people to check out amanda this has been a lot of fun
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's been a pleasure and thank you all for listening. I hope you taste some of our wine soon.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. Find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at goldenwestpod, or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.